you know, it's never too late to start over again in a career. I was like 35 years old where most of my senior associate compatriots were 25. You have to work hard to compete and to establish yourself. I'm Sean Cheatham, the Chief Commercial Officer at Hayes, and welcome to How Did You Get That Job? a podcast that explores the secrets behind career success in the tech industry. Joining me for this episode is John DeCreen, who is the Associate Managing Director for Cyber Risk at Kroll Associates. John has had a fascinating career with some great experiences in security, and will be asking me about these, what life in cyber has taught him about himself, and finally, we'll look to the future and discuss how security roles and teams will adapt and innovate. So, John, it's great to have you on the podcast. Is it possible to start the interview by you telling us about Kroll Associates? Oh, I'd be happy to, Sean. So proud to work for Kroll. Kroll, like many other consulting practices, has a wide range of service offerings. We take on projects like cyber risk, data privacy, data analytics, corporate finance and restructuring, and a very large array of digital investigations. Kroll is also one of the world's foremost incident response organizations. Been around since 1972, based in New York City, and over the last couple of years have been both acquired and then merged with Duffin Phelps. And you are the Associate Managing Director for the Cyber Risk Advisory Services. I mean, how does that role fit into the organization? Yeah, I've been in the role for about 18 months. And the Associate Managing Director has the responsibility for identifying clients, pitching services, and securing the client relationship. Also, most importantly, we're responsible for client delivery, identifying client issues as they may arise, helping solve them, and assuring that the team is properly staffed with the right experts. Tell us, how did you get that job? Well, I think most importantly, the thing to remember is relationship, relationship, relationship. I was on the way leaving my prior firm and a very close relationship of mine knew the gentleman who was the president of Cyber Risk at Kroll, made a phone call and introduced me. And within a short period of time, I was working for Kroll. So in all cases, it's who you know it really is. And certainly cybersecurity is a constant battle. So for you, what determines success in your role? Well, as you might imagine, the primary definition of what is engagement success is whether we've left the client in measurably better shape or more secure than the way that we found them. This can be defined in a number of different ways. If it was an incident response client, did we successfully guide them through the event or leave them in an operational state? Did we fix the problems they encountered during their event? Were we able to learn what the cause of the event was, the gaps or vulnerabilities that facilitated the bad actor in making access into their environment? For an advisory client, was I able to navigate the complicated world of the client's specific business politics, their bureaucracy? Was I able to identify the areas they really needed solved? Could I craft an engagement that met their needs or defended their positions? And more importantly, communicated with the world that they were able to protect and defend themselves and that they were stronger than when I started. Now, prior to Kroll, you worked at Alvarez and Marsal for almost 17 years. Tell us more about what you did there. 
my career there was sort of stratified in three separate areas. Early part of my career was nearly all digital forensics, where I was able to, and I feel very lucky about the timing and sort of the place that I landed, was very lucky to establish myself as a forensics expert, providing expert testimony in a wide range of jurisdictions, state and federal court. I had spent early part of my career, almost 10 years in the information technology world. So I started my career at Alvarez as a middle-aged senior associate. To those listening, you know, it's never too late to start over again in a career because it was like 35 years old where most of my senior associate compatriots were 25. So, you know, I found myself in a place where you have to work hard to compete and to establish yourself. And that paid off in dividends as I found myself able to sort of plant myself as an expert in digital forensics. And then continuing being lucky at Alvarez, I was able to move with the times. The second phase of my career focused mainly on electronic discovery, big data analytics. I was lucky enough to be part of two very large bankruptcies, the largest in the world, in fact, where I was really sort of important role in the collection of all of the digital data and other things for those bankruptcies, almost eight petabytes worth of data. So focused mainly on e-discovery and data analytics. And through that process, I was exposed to lots of regulators, which set me up perfectly for the third phase of my career at Alvarez, where I focused on cybersecurity and delivery of cybersecurity advisory services. And tell our listeners, how did you get that job? I had worked for a very large auto finance firm where I had a mid-level executive role there managing all sorts of employees in the data center. 9-11 was very difficult and very hard for the company that I worked for. We ended up having to close the doors and I found myself on the street. So I went to a contract placement agency. Typical story. Please help me find something while I find something. Help me keep feeding my family. And sure enough, I found myself in an interview with Alvarez and Marsal. Came away from that interview just feeling like I had taken a downturn. This was not the cool high tech job I thought it was going to be. And I'd felt that I was pretty much at the pinnacle of my tech career. And lo and behold, they made an offer. I took the job at a necessity. By the end of the contract engagement, I was not only in love with the services they were offering, but the company itself. And it seemed like that was returned in favor. So they offered me a full-time job and turned what was quite a pile of lemons into lemonade. It's funny how that works. Certainly, having been in the staffing industry for a while, Sometimes the things that you don't think you want are exactly the things that uh, turn out to be a great fit for you. So great story. Listeners, if you'd like further insights into the technology industry, then visit expertsintechnology.haze.com. This is the part of the podcast where we shine a light on you. Now, obviously, being in security and especially incident response, you are dealing with huge amounts of immediate pressure. In the more wider aspects, what has this taught you about yourself? Mental gymnastics is about the best way that I could describe it. All of my work in previous information technology had me focused on big projects. All of my energy went into this big singular project, tried to get that project done and deliver that project to my employer. In the world of incident response or 
cybersecurity in general, you are dealing with large volumes of information from all directions at the same time. And a lot of times they're completely unrelated to each other. So you have to develop mental gymnastics to be able to move through all of those dozens of different information streams and delegate taskings to people and hone all of that into an intelligible message for the client or the target audience. It could be a regulator or a lawyer or the courtroom. I'm not sure if he asked my family I'm able to possess that in my private life, but I certainly feel like I have honed that in my work life. Now, tech is an ever-changing landscape. So how do you stay on top of all these innovations? Yeah, I think the first thing to remember is consulting job, especially in cybersecurity, doesn't end at five o'clock. It's a never-ending stream of new technology, new threat actor methodologies and attack patterns and vectors. First of all, it starts with constant reading. Whenever I'm not in front of a client or I'm not working on business development, it's learning new tactics, learning new tools to defend against. It's a constant stream of reading. Second is lots of relationships. Community itself is extremely important. I have lots of friends in the intelligence services and federal law enforcement and bringing all this information together through our chatting. Lots of what are other people would consider very techie phone calls are actually very sort of collegial calls between friends. What are you doing? What are you working on? How did you do that? You know, and sharing that with each other really provides an edge when it comes to dealing with an incident in my own world. I spend a lot of time following organizations, ISACs and other organizations that provide a constant stream of threat intelligence. And then nobody likes the word training, but lots of formal training. One thing that's really constant as we talk to CISOs and people in the cyber world is that community that everybody relies so heavily on. It's so important. 100%. In the last episode of the podcast, we had Dave Messenger as a guest. He spoke at length about failure and he said this. The other thing I look for is people who've actually got knocked down, people who've actually hit a wall. And, you know, if you've got someone with a perfect resume, everything is they went to the top tier school, Yale, Harvard, they went to a blue chip, great company, everything was successful all the way through. I hesitate before hiring people like that because it's only when someone goes through a fundamental challenge, they get knocked down hard, but they come back that you know you've got someone who's resilient and who's actually learned from their experience. So if you had an experience which didn't go as expected, and how did you handle that? I think there are probably more than I can count and probably way fewer <laughs> than I would share. <laughs> but, you know, as an expert, you're always right. So you always got to figure out a way to make it right. I think one experience stands out for me. Very high dollar legal case, very public digital forensic investigations case was in the news frequently, especially in the Southeast region, where... We had made some procedural choices. We tried the industry accepted best standard and it failed. We tried it numerous times, numerous ways, and it continued to fail. An answer had to be delivered. We had to come to an answer. So we got to think out of the box some. When we did that, we challenged the very heavily precedented legal status quo and took that to the judge. Well, this battle that arose from this out-of-the-box methodology 
went on for months and months and months. All kinds of depositions and new trial parts. It was extremely stressful. The other side pressed for what's called a Daubert motion, which is essentially proving that the expert is incompetent, me, incompetent. Of course, that's a death knell for my career. So there was this huge amount of pressure to prove not only did we try everything else properly, but that what we did out of the box not only was sentient, but was extremely well thought through and that all of the pitfalls that could have arisen were tackled. Ultimately, we were very successful in that. I want a very hefty summary judgment for my client, really due in large part to what started as what everybody perceived as a bad choice and a mistake, but turned out ultimately to produce the evidence that won the case. All that time energy has to be very satisfying. It was very stressful at the time, of course, because it was either succeed or lose my career. Yeah. Right. It would have meant loss of job. It would have meant no more testifying. It was a stressful time. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts around diverse working teams? I guess I think to myself, like most people do, you know, what does this mean to me? And I realize that I probably don't think about it that much day to day. I think it's a luxurious position, but it's not because it's not important. It's because to the contrary, I don't experience a lack of diversity. I've been very lucky in my career to work for two large firms. Kroll is by far and away out in front when it comes to diversity and inclusivity. I'm just really grateful for that. And as such, I don't really think about it applying to me because the people I work with are extremely diverse and positions we take are very inclusive. But when I think about it, I do see the lack of diversity around me in my clients, in the folks that were being hired to work for. And it does make me wonder, you know, maybe some of the reasons they're not as successful as they could be and the reason they need the help is because of the lack of diversity in thinking. And this isn't always about gender or sex or other things. This is about cultural backgrounds and previous experience. The diversity of experience is just as important as the diversity of gender-based roles, those kind of things. So diversity is a really wide topic. When you think about it, you really do realize how much it affects you. And tech is an industry so heavily rooted in continuing education. One of the reasons that diversity hasn't reached the tech industry in the way that it could or should is that the training opportunities don't always exist for the disenfranchised. And I think a way that we could tackle that as an industry is to get training out to the folks who don't have the sort of typical route. These SANS courses and these other sort of forensic courses are extremely expensive, $5,000 a piece for a, you know, a two-week course. Most folks can't afford that. So how do we push that training down to that sort of disenfranchised group of folks? I think is a good way to deal with that. And then I think still Stereotypes keep people away. You know, quote, tech is not for women, which I think is utterly ridiculous because I've worked with some of the smartest women in the tech industry. And again, Crow is filled with women in very senior technical roles. But I do see it a lot in sort of the IT industry where women are not only shunned, but it's very difficult for them to break into. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that is there's such a shortage of talent in the industry. And if it just embraced diversity, that could help solve a lot of those issues. Completely agree. We talk a lot about mentorship. I'm just curious, have you had a mentor? And if so, what effect did that have on your career? I've just been truly blessed. I've had so many mentors over my career, both in the IT space and then again now having spent so long in the consulting space. Two stand above the rest. The first, the managing director, 
very early in my consulting career when I got hired at Alvarez in the beginning, of course. And he took me under his wing and he taught me what are one would consider all the soft skills of being a consultant. It's really easy to be a tech guy, right? There's a lot of learning. You can learn those things. You can do those technical things. But being a consultant, delivering expert consulting services in itself is the skill set that has to be taught. No schools for that kind of thing. And this individual took me under his wing. I didn't have the typical pedigree coming straight out of a big Ivy League school that a lot of consultants start with. He sort of helped push me through that and gave me the skill sets, helped impart those things onto me, how to read a room, how to, sounds ridiculous, how to have dinner with a high class lawyer without looking like a fool. All of these consulting experiences really do train you for sort of the world of big legal consulting. I was very grateful for him. And to this day, we stay close. We actually did a roadshow for the American Society of CPAs last year. So I was really grateful for that. The other gentleman taught me the very fine art of speaking technical to lay people in a way that they can understand. I think one mental block that most technology folks have is they're unable to impart their deep knowledge to other people without sounding like gobbledygook. And I, of course, did the same thing. I was unable to take these deeply complicated technical components and deliver them to the court in a way that made any sense to people whose experiences aren't that. People think because a lawyer is smart, they're going to get you. They do not. They don't have the background, the color to understand. So it is a true skill set to learn to soften the delivery of a technical concept or the outcome, the expert opinion of a technical concept to lay people. And this one gentleman helped me focus on that skill set. And I really feel like I was able to avoid the dime a dozen geek mentality and sort of rise above that, be able to deliver these important concepts in a way that people could understand. In this part of the podcast, we look to the future. So, John, you are the Associate Managing Director for Cyber Risk. How's this role in particular going to change and develop in the coming years? I guess like anybody else, it's career focused. I hope it leads at some point to a promotion to full partner managing director. The best way to have an impact on an organization is to be in the conversation for the kind of services we deliver, the kind of clients that we deliver. I think Crawl is fantastic that they let folks not at that level sit at the table and have their say and have some influence over those decisions. But I don't think there's any better way to sort of make Kroll what the current generation wants it to be other than to be part of that leadership team. So I'd love to eventually reach partner managing director. I think that's a true role. Yeah. Anybody else listening, never shoot for the role. Always shoot for what you want to accomplish in your life. It's been a big part of my success. So although I am already much older than many of my managing directors, it's not about that. It's about, am I satisfied with where I am today? And that leads to the next step organically. Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? You have to be happy in the role that you're in, right? Not necessarily comparing yourself to others. Yeah. More widely, what do you think someone listening to this podcast can do to future-proof their skills? 
I think a follow on the theme we just talked about, do not rest on what you've achieved today. The best of us is always thinking about what tomorrow looks like, learning what we don't already know. Don't read the headline of an article without reading the article, right? Again, mentors over time have taught me, take a moment, read a competing view, understand what the other side of the courtroom in my particular case may think about a topic. It will make you a better expert. But I think that parlays fantastic into the regular tech world. What are the domain administrators thinking about the changes you're making as a server administrator? How does that affect people around you? Best way position yourself to be successful in the future is to ingratiate yourself to the folks you work with today. You know, choose a path forward that isn't the role. We just talked about that in a minute. Don't aspire to be the managing director. Do a great job at the associate managing director role, and that will come organically to you. I interview a lot of people for positions, and I ask them what they want to do next. And their answer is almost always the role they want to be. No, tell me about the things you like to do, and then find a way to harness that, to find a position and a role that fits that. Don't shoot for what the world tells you is the role you should take. And it's been very successful for me. I've been very lucky, not only that the world has sort of set me up to move through these big topics, forensics and e-discovery and then cyber. Timing was good, so I'm grateful for that. But it was also a lot of hard work in making sure that I was ready for the next step when the world said the next step was up. Yeah, I think that's so important, right? You, you got to put the work in. I talk to so many people who want something that they haven't even experienced enough to be in that role. So yeah, it's a great information. I would also add no skill is future proof. Don't achieve a level of skill and think that's it. You don't have anywhere else to go. You will be passed by technology and you will find yourself in the backseat watching somebody else drive. I think that's what makes technology so great, right? We're not working on Visual Basic anymore. It's like a thousand different iterations. It's intoxicating, but a lot of work. For sure. Yeah. So when you're looking to hire new people to the cybersecurity team, I mean, what do you look for? Real diversity and technical skill sets. Don't be the eight millimeter socket when I need you to be a Leatherman right? Don't be this finely focused, super expert in a very narrow space. Yes, the world needs those, right? NASA needs lots of those. Cybersecurity needs lots of those. The successful cybersecurity programs deal in intelligence and they make risk averse, risk tolerant appetite decisions based on intelligence, not based on emotional sort of understanding. They take a large set of intelligence, they put it on a table and they parse through it and they make choices based on that intelligence. Be the one that helps them understand what's necessary to make those choices, to understand how your intelligence interplays with other sets of intelligence. Help folks make good decisions. You will be noticed. And what would you say to people listening now who you know, perhaps haven't considered a career in technology or cybersecurity for that matter? What would you say to them as far as a career opportunity? Do it right now. Don't wait. The world is moving rapidly headlong into an all cloud business to business, business to consumer environment. Non-tech jobs are on their way out. They're being dramatically reduced and replaced by technological solutions. You know, we all read about the robots, but it's way more critical than that. 
large companies are developing very diverse technical solutions, software as a service that are going to replace large amounts of manual labor today. The call center technician will go away because folks are now able to naturally speak to AI and solve most of their problems. That's just one example. So don't wait, do it now. Even the sort of once unbending professional jobs such as CPA are being replaced at light speed by software that can incorporate the very latest tax law into decisions and the algorithms used to produce taxes for big corporations. So just be aware of the world around you. And if you are ever interested in a tech job, now is the time. Yeah, for sure. And finally, you know, you've had a fascinating career. And I know you mentioned earlier about that next evolution of you is at the partner level. But what other long-term aims do you have for yourself? I'd like to open myself up to spend more time in the privacy space. I think many folks spend all of their career in the cybersecurity space. In the last 18 months, spent a great deal of time in the privacy space. It is the new driver for cybersecurity choices. It is where companies are running afoul of regulators. It will begin to cost companies lots of money. So the sort of next iteration of John DeCrane is helping folks understand the privacy world and all of the landmines associated with the relationship between cybersecurity controls and privacy expectations. That's great. Good stuff. Hey, John, listen, I really appreciate you coming on the show and spending some time with us. My pleasure, Sean. Thank you for the opportunity. That was John DeCreen, Associate Managing Director for Cyber Risk at Kroll Associates. I really liked how he mentioned to never shoot for a role in particular. Think about your experiences and skills and what you want to achieve in life as if you're satisfied with where you are today. This then leads to success tomorrow. He also applies to skills where he says, the best of us is always wondering what tomorrow looks like. Do not rest upon what you've achieved today. Always take time to read a competing view and see what the other side will think about the topics as it makes you a better expert. I'm Sean Cheatham, the Chief Commercial Officer at Hayes, and make sure you join us for the next episode of How Did You Get That Job, where we'll be speaking with another leader from the world of technology. To find out more about Hayes, visit our website at expertsintechnology.hayes.com. And to never miss an episode of the podcast, make sure you hit follow wherever you get your podcasts.